Hello friends and family, welcome to the For Us By Us podcast by the Black Girl Community Hub. We are seven girls from the UK and we'll be covering a range of topics from colorism to the black girl experience in hip hop and everything in between. My name is Simche and I will be joined by our special guest, Dish, Donna from the She Rockers and Cookie from the Cookie Crew. Hi ladies. Hi. Hello. How are we all doing this cold evening? Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's <laughs> well. Doing well. Oh, no, it's freezing outside. Well, thank you again. In today's episode, I want to know about your black girl experience in the 80s. I'd like to shout out Tolu, who raised this as a topic to discuss and for being a pivotal contribution to the prep work. I want to start off by asking about how was it at home for you guys as young girls aspiring to go into a male predominant community, that being the hip hop music industry? Was your family reciprocative of your decisions? Like for us, for me, I can relate. And I know some of you guys said you're from the um, the Caribbean community. Like how was it for your parents and how like what was their reactions to you guys going into that career? I don't think they kind of know what we was up to. And I know for me and for the Cookie Crew, us having hip-hop in our lives allowed us to be able to go out to clubs. We'd say we'd be going out to clubs because we were performing, so we kind of got away with things. I think one of the first hip-hop clubs that we went to was called Breakers Yard up um, Podium, Vauxhall. And we went there, and my mum said I must be in by, what time was it? Too early, anyway, and the club didn't finish till midnight and we walked home from the club that night and didn't get into maybe one two o'clock in the morning and I remember the following morning my mum said to me what time did you come in last night and I just looked at her and I said whatever it was might be 12 o'clock and from that day I don't need to tell her where I'm going now so I think we were lucky that it gave us access to be able to go out because also we was going out to a safe place we weren't going out on the streets disrupting people. Mm. We were actually going to whether it was Covent Garden, um, yeah. meeting up at the club nights. We had we had focus. So we had we was on a mission, and um, we didn't know we was going into a male-dominated environment. We got into it, and we was ex- we was all accepted because we were there for a purpose. We were there for the culture. We were you know part of building the scene at the time. We didn't know what we was building, but um, I don't think they they didn't really know what we were doing in terms of it you know evolving into a career until we made our first record and the first record was rock the house which it wasn't meant to sound like that it was it got mixed and mixed and mixed where it turned to a house record and I remember bringing this record home like mom dad had made this record my dad played it and he sat and he listened to it and obviously we were shouting all over the record weren't we and he said to me what this is rubbish (laughs) And I'm, it's not their scene, is it? And I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah but it, it wasn't saying it like with malice. It's like it's just not their mm. thing. Our parents came from Jamaica. They didn't grow up on this noise. You know, they grew up on proper, you know, you know reggae or whatever the stuff that we we were raised on. Um, but you know, they were proud nonetheless because obviously after that we started you know making records, gigging, and being out. So we had that excuse, and we weren't bringing trouble into the home. You know, mm. everything we did was in the home. We practiced in the house. We wrote in the house, and you know, we were never we were never out for making trouble. When we was on the street, we'd be down Clapham Junction with the guys, and they'd have their liner out, breaking, popping, and we'd just be you know there hanging and just doing our thing. So I think we were very lucky. And we weren't distracted. We weren't distracted by anybody that would probably lead us down the path to being mixed up in different, you know, different things. So, you know, hip hop saved me. I could have been That's a ragamuffin. That's amazing to know. I know you're a bit younger. So was it different for you? Yeah, for me, it, um, they ended up being supportive. 
um, so in the beginning, I was dancing and I chose to go to the Brit school. But my mum wasn't really feeling that. She wanted me to be a scientist or an accountant. And I was like, nah, I need to, I have to perform. I've got this burning sensation in me that I need to perform. And so the, the compromise was I would study A-level maths and I got to go to the Brit school. And then that's when I wrote my first song at the Brits. And then I came out of there and it literally sped up from there. So it's like you had to get on board because my tune was blowing up on the road. And what what I'm in the middle of a bidding war. Are you really going to say to me that I can't go into music now? So eventually everyone kind of was like, all right, cool. We're supporting you. It's fine. My brother was like, ah, oh, girls can't rap. He was on that kind of thing. So he quickly made a quick turnaround when he was going raving and was hearing my tune laying down the place. So everyone kind of just came and started being really supportive. Um, but it was that traditional West Indian family. No, you're not doing this. Yeah, yeah? you're not going to be performing. Mm-hmm. Go and get a proper job. Go uni. Go do something. But you're not do it. That's what it kind of was for yeah. me. Yeah. What about you, Donna? Quite similar to cookies and. You know, I do recognise that growing up in the 80s, it was quite unusual for Mm. girls to have the freedom that we had. You know, I come from a Jamaican household as well. My parents split up when I was nine, so it was my mum. I had a stepdad. But my dad was still, like, a part of my life. And I was always quite a tomboy anyway, so I was always on the road. I was always outside playing football or riding bike. Then it was street hockey. And then when I got into the music, probably about 14 but I didn't really start going to jams until I was about 17. But I used to go clubbing anyway, um, like Cookie said. I used to go clubbing a lot. And my mum was quite, she was quite good at letting me go out. I mean, generally it was kept to school holidays. But then when I started doing the music, I didn't really have any issues with them. I mean, my personality was so independent already that it was just, oh, that's another thing that Don is doing. When I got Mm. to about 18, when I finished my A-levels, I didn't want to go to university because I wanted to do the music. Uh, My mum wasn't happy about it, but she spoke to my dad. And he was just like, let her go and do it. You know, she'll come back to the studying when she's ready, which, again, I appreciate is quite unusual for that time. But my dad was just, Mm. my dad was good like that. You know, he kind of accepted me for the person that I was. And, you know, he he never tried to, you know, bend me to, you know, to the social norms of the time you know old girls should act like this a girl should my dad wasn't like that and my mum mm. wasn't really like that she just kind of let me get on and I was I was thinking I was already well, I feel like I was grabbed up but I was already in a full-time job I actually gave up my job as a chef at the Ministry of Defence I gave up my job when we signed our major recording contract so it wasn't if you know my parents say you've got to do this before blah, blah, blah. I was already working so it's like, I want to give up work for hip hop. We both said, I want to be able to give up my job for hip hop. One day in our lives, we're going to give up work for hip hop. And we did. And we didn't give it up until it was the right time, up until the final moments where we knew that contract was there, that everything was in place, amazing management. Luckily, we had amazing legal. So our paperwork was, was tight. And when we signed on that contract and I handed my notice in that work, that was it. And from there, I haven't looked back. But yeah, I was, I was grown. So I, I could make that choice on my own. Um, I, I just always remember thinking I had an older sister I've got an older sister she's but she's only a year older than me but I remember when she was like 18 or something she was asking my mum we lived on an estate in West London 
and um, she wanted to go and see her boyfriend who lived on the estate down the road. She was about 18. My sister was at university by then. And she asked my mum if she could go out. And my mum said no. And I said, boy, when I'm 18, then I'm not asking my mum to go nowhere. Like, I'm just going to go. And that is exactly what I did. You know, as soon as I turned 18, I would just, I would let my mum know I'm going somewhere. But I never asked permission. You know, it was just, yeah. I was doing my Your own. And, you know, I was really independent by that point anyway. I had my, I had my Saturday job. I bought my own clothes. You know, I went out with my friends and I'll just tell her where I was going and then I'll come back. That that year as well, I went to New York and that was my longest trip away. I'd been to like Europe with school and whatever. And I paid for my own ticket and I went with the girls that I was rapping with. So it's fair to say that um, that it's quite subjective that more, that more Black families view of success are one dimensional. But do you guys feel like there was some sort of family pressure to succeed, like a kind of make or break situation? And we was always told, just make sure you do something with your life. Mm. From a very early age, it's always that thing. It wasn't much vocals, like, go to college. Or yeah. you'd get up one day and a prospect, what do you call it in the old age? Prospect, prospectus? Then for the, yeah, for the colleges. Yeah. That used to be on the stairs. Mm-hmm. It was like, do something. Mm-hmm. Go and study something. Yeah, my dad so was always, university. It's always, yeah, it's like, you've got to do something. You can't yeah. be idle. And that was, yeah, that was always in us. Like, and also, we didn't want to do anything that would embarrass our parents or our families. It's like we always did good. Wanted them to be very about. conscious. Mm. I, I would say the pressure didn't come so much from family, but it more comes from the people around you. Like, oh, how's music going? Oh, been on top of the pop shit. So you, you would get a lot of that in the community so if you weren't always constantly on radio or they didn't see you on top of the pops or on some kind of chart show then that meant you weren't being successful basically so that's where the pressure kind of came from for me I would say yeah like Cookie said I didn't really feel that kind of stuff from my family and you know a lot of the people that I grew up with on my state they were really supportive you know they were always like cheering me on and you know bigging me up and stuff and they actually thought if you was on top of the pops they thought you were rich and where they got that from I remember top of the pops well, top of the pops was one of the biggest talent shows at the time it's not a show that you get paid to go on it's part of your promo if records in the charts yeah. or whatever it's something you do, but you don't like get paid for it. Do you feel like you uh, being around a lot of males created some sort of intimidation for them? Like, do you feel like in your industry, um, men had a complex with women and their levels of success? I mean, there was some bitching around the time when we were doing our thing. And, you know, you'd get this common refrain that, oh, it's because they're, they're females, why they're successful. You know, it's just easier for people to accept them, that kind of thing. But I mean, not from people that you rolled with, not really from mm. people. But there was a bit of jealousy there, definitely. Mm. But that's just that's just people, isn't it? You know, they're going to point out something if they're unhappy at your success. And just being female was the thing that they decided to point out. But in the main, you know, most of the people that I worked with, it was really good. It was really collaborative, and um, it was mainly it was enjoyable. But mm. Yeah, there's, there was always a few haters in there. Always. I mean, we, we got it in the next when we went to work in America to go actually go and work in terms of going to record our album, to do stuff. We came back and we got this frosty response from London. We're like, oh, we just went to do our job, to go and make our music and come back. So it took us a while 
a very long while actually to kind of feel comfortable and confident again performing in London because of the backlash we got because we went to America and we took it to heart that's how passionate we felt and loyal we felt towards mm-hmm. London and the scene we wanted them to accept us because this is our hometown but again it was all that jealousy thing and that's fine because that's all part of evolving if we didn't do that we're supposed to do sit at home and twiddle our thumbs and, and who's going to pay the bills for us if we don't go to America you get an offer to go to the US to record with people that you want to record with why would you turn that down but um that's just just the way it was no harm done when you think about jealousy I didn't even realize that it was that bad for you at that time I mean because at the the time the hip-hop scene was kind of either supporting the cookie crew or they were with us and mainly they were supporting the cookie crew and we always felt like the outsiders you know the usurper type thing and you know we were getting a lot of cold shoulder from people but to be quite honest, because we did come a, a, a little way behind the cookie crew, we kind of accepted it as, well, we're the newbies, so we're getting the shit. It was such a small scene yeah. when we think about it. It's like somebody new's coming in, they've got to protect your herd. But um, like we said, if we didn't have that rivalry and that passion, then we would have nothing to kind of to um, improve ourselves. And that's what it's all about, going away and coming back and being better. But yeah, we had, we had our moments. We had our moments in London. It's like, what's going on? what is going on and then but it took a while for people to come around when they came back around they actually admitted their behavior was unacceptable it's like and this is in big age which is good because we can all bump into each other it's like we're all grown women um and grown men that we can actually laugh about things that happened back in the day because we're all still you know we're lucky that most of us were still alive and kicking and we can have these conversations and talk about the old days but we had some we had a handful of people that um that gave us a hard time and it was hard, but we mm. dealt with it. And we also had people around us that was protecting us as well. Because us don't worry, we're there, this, that, and the other. Yeah. You know, all part of the process. Oh, well, um, it was really nice talking to you guys. Um, I'm so sorry we're running out of time. I'd just like to thank you all for joining me today and for joining the For Us By Us podcast. Could you let my listeners know where they could find your music or find your handles? Social handles is at Cookie Price. I've got nothing new coming out anytime soon. There's one track on Spotify, <laughs> but mainly YouTube. My handle is stush underscore UK on Instagram and on Twitter. And you can find my stuff on Apple Music, Spotify and YouTube. Yes, girl. Well, thank you, ladies. It has been a pleasure speaking with you all. If you found today's episode interesting, don't forget to share and subscribe. And you can follow our hashtag. That is for us by us pod. And let's continue the discussion. My name is Sim Che, and thank you for listening. Woo! You guys did it! Mike's up, shit! Woo, 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 woo! I feel like I can cry, guys. It was great! I'm the hype woman. Wow. Yeah. Your interviews are really good. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. It was nice to talk to you guys. I wish it was longer. I had a couple more questions, but maybe next time. part two whenever you're ready yeah we don't have to go anywhere we just sit in our front rooms (laughs) (laughs) exactly oh gosh how is that for you guys this whole lockdown thing how are you coping horrid yeah it's it's long I think last year was just that fear factor when it initially happened and everything just kind of came to a halt overnight but now it's just like oh we're just gonna have to 
adjust some way somehow because this is not going to end you know people keep saying oh summer and end of the year 2022 will be fine I'm like guys you just have to get used to this like (laughs) even if they even if they said oh it's safe now I think people are going to be so wary and cautious they're not going to be too hasty to get out and do things and some of the crazy people but yeah I love being at home but I miss things like going out for a meal and yes you know but I love Listen, I'm a homebody. I missed the restaurant. Thank you. The fine dining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit like that as well. Since I produce music, I mainly work from home. But just the simple things like going mm. gym and cinema, just those simple things, that's what I kind of miss at the moment. You know what I mean? The gym is the worst thing because you know you have to touch stuff. It's not even like you can get around it. So you just can't yeah. go. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, the gym definitely. And it's funny, the, the year the gym's not open is apparently the year I've lost weight as well. So apparently I've lost a half a stone the whole time this has all happened. Wow. Yeah, I lost weight in the first lockdown and I was like, how? What? Like, how? <laughs> you were the, coming the up power, to me like, how did you lose weight? It's like I'm more organised now. I've, I lost weight and I was able to save money because I don't have to travel anywhere. Yeah, saving money. So That's just, another thing, yeah, like. Not, I saved not traveling, yeah, not going out, out for lunches. You saved so much, so brand new world. Yeah, I miss performing though. I need some shows. It's doing my head in. I can't. I can't cope. Are you doing any? Um, are you doing any like um, was it IG live or YouTube live shows or anything like that? I haven't, but I said this year I have to because I like social media and me are not the best of friends. I'm just like mm. a different generation for me. And I try and everyone's been on to me. You need to use your social media. And I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, why do I have to tell you what I'm yeah. thinking? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's that side like, of like, like, it. From a music standpoint. If I yeah. and I'll tell you what I'm doing. The thing is, if you were so, on it yeah. to use it, you'd use it for professional reasons and to be creative. Like if you wanted to do a performance, you could actually do it and just post that one thing so you're doing and just get your yeah. fans together. You don't have to be like on it every five minutes because yeah, yeah, yeah. You know your limit. Exactly. Is is it the same like virtual performances? Because I guess with performing it's that whole like adrenaline and you know, being with in the actual room and just that energy. Whereas when it's over Zoom or IG Live, it just feels like a like you're performing to your phone. Like I don't know, if just feel like there's a disconnect. It it is different because you do get the whole vibe of the crowd as well. But I had to learn a long time ago, don't rely on the crowd because you could be smashing the performance and the crowd's just giving you this. And you feel like my rubbish. And I've done one show for um, one extra for Carnival last year and it was just me and Jams, the DJ. And it was weird because I had to socially distance from my DJ. So I didn't know what tune was coming in next. But in a way, it just made me vibe more. I had to go into myself and just be like, boy, I'm just performing to this empty room. But yeah, (laughs) you know, but... It is what it is, just that whole professionalism, I suppose. Yeah. But it is definitely strange and different. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I know they've got so many questions. I know Samantha has so many. I can see your face lighting up. Just like, oh, <laughs> this is great. And it is, but we, we are actually running over 